there's a lot of really good scientific research on mushrooms that has maybe for the last 50 years, scientists have been looking into the medicinal properties of mushrooms. So we've got a tremendous body of research. everyone, welcome back to episode 126 of That's So Maven. Before we jump into today's episode with Jeff Chilton all about mushrooms, I want to thank our sponsor, Anne-Marie Gianni Skincare. I have talked about Anne-Marie before. I absolutely love their skincare products. Everything is either organic or wild-crafted, and it is amazing for your skin, and it's what I use every single day. So you guys know I'm really passionate about clean beauty, and I talk a lot about clean beauty, and I buy a lot of my beauty products from Credo Beauty, which if you follow The Healthy Maven, you know that their big 20% off sale last week, which was amazing, and I stocked up on some favorites. But for my day-to-day skincare, a lot of the products that I use are actually Anne-Marie skincare, and I just love the quality, and I found that because I have acne-prone skin, that it just works really, really well with my skin. And I'm excited to share that they're offering That So Maven listeners an amazing deal for November, all about giving. They have their sample pack, which they've actually increased and added in the clay exfoliant, which I absolutely love and use about once a week as part of their trial kit. And it just gives you a sense of their products. Normally it's a $40 value and includes their cleanser, their serum, their oil, and now the Kylin clay exfoliant. All four products are normally $40 and they're offering them to That So Maven listeners for $10, which includes shipping. So it's kind of a no-brainer if you want to try out their products and decide if they work for you. I totally get it. Everybody has different skin, but I honestly believe these products are amazing and anyone who I have recommended them to has done really, really well using their products. So it's worth a shot. Try it out just for $10. I will include a link in the show notes so that you can find the page where you can sign up. There is absolutely no subscription to this. It's just a $10 payment. You can try out their products and then if you love them, you can always order more. They actually created a page for That So Maven listeners where you can find all the information on the deal, but the problem is that it's kind of long, so it's annemariegiani.com slash thehealthymaven dash winter, which I know can be kind of confusing and hard to remember. Again, it's in my bio, but just in case, if you type in bit.ly, so bit.ly slash maven dash Marie, you will find all the info there. And as I say that out loud, it doesn't sound that much easier. So basically go to the show notes and you'll find the link there to sign up for that deal. And that is the only place you're going to find that deal. So it's really, really amazing. I highly recommend it. Now let's get into today's episode with Jeff Chilton. I was really excited to discover Jeff and hear more about his work. Obviously mushrooms and medicinal mushrooms have been something that have gained increasing popularity in the last few years, and I've had a lot of questions about what makes them effective and whether or not we need to be cautious around quality and is every brand out there the right brand. And so we get into a discussion about how to find quality products, if organic matters, what to look out for. And honestly, it was pretty enlightening for me, and there will be a part in it where you're going to hear us refer to a brand that is quite popular out there, and I learned some surprising facts about it. We don't actually say the name of the brand, but it's pretty easy to infer who they are. So if you have any questions, you can always message me in the THM tribe to find out more information about that, but didn't want to like publicly shame any brand out there, but it is a really interesting conversation. Jeff is kind of a wizard when it comes to all things mushrooms, and honestly, this episode is just super informative, and I feel like as more and more stuff is being added to the wellness space, which ironically, a lot of it is very old and and there's nothing new about people using mushrooms for their health. But as more and more things become popular and the wellness space is growing, it's important to take in all this information and decide if it's right for you. So hopefully this episode can be helpful for you when trying to decide, hey, I'm going to add a little reishi to my diet or, you know, maybe I'm going to hold off on the cordyceps, which is something I discovered I can't consume because my body is super sensitive to them. But you'll learn more about that in the show. So stay tuned until the end of the episode. I'm sharing a couple notes and things that are coming up. But otherwise, let's jump into today's show. Here's Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the show. 
Hi, Davida. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so excited to chat with you. This is a conversation I've been really looking forward to because you are an expert in mushrooms and I'm kind of a mushroom geek. I've always found them fascinating and I have so many questions for you. So this is really fun for me to be able to chat with you. (laughs) Well, I I love talking to people that have the interest and certainly know the knowledge that you've got. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. So for the listeners who maybe aren't familiar with you and your journey, can you share a bit more about who you are and your work? Sure. Well, I was born in uh, Washington State. I grew up in Seattle in an area that is evergreen. And it's evergreen because it rains all the time. Unlike, you know, you fortunate people in California, they get a lot of sun. We don't. However, the cool thing about that is that all that rain brings a lot of mushrooms. So in the fall up here, we have mushrooms everywhere. So I grew up with that went out mushroom hunting. When I went to university, I studied anthropology and mycology at the same time. And then part of my study was the use of mushrooms in different cultures for food, for medicine, and in shamanism. So I had that, and it was just so fascinating how deep the information goes on mushrooms. So I love that. And then when I got out of university, it's like, what do you do with a degree in anthropology? Well, I I essentially went to a mushroom farm that was 60 minutes down the road from Seattle, only mushroom farm in Washington State, a very, very big mushroom farm. And for the next 10 years, I worked on that mushroom farm. That was 1973. And you know what? I literally lived with mushrooms for those 10 years, and I loved every minute of it. That is amazing. So what you know drove you to start your own business and to really jump into the mushroom world full force? Well, first of all, um, in the 1970s, a lot was going on in the 1970s in terms of uh, I was you know working on this commercial mushroom farm. They were growing 2 million pounds a year, but there was also in the Olympia, Washington area, just a lot of interesting people who were interested in mushrooms and the whole uh, shamanistic side of things. And so I got deeper into mushrooms. And then, you know, I just decided that that was going to be my career move. And then growing mushrooms commercially, one of the things about growing mushrooms, fresh mushrooms, is you've got to Get them to the marketplace. They're fresh. They'll spoil if you don't. And also, when you grow mushrooms, you're like a babysitter because you have multiple crops going on at the same time. And I was reading during that period about medicinal mushrooms, and that was a whole nother area that I got deep into uh, the use of mushrooms in traditional Chinese medicine. And one of the great things about that is that they used mushrooms that were dry. They weren't fresh. And so when I started my company, Namex, in 1989, I went from where, okay, fresh mushrooms that you've got to get to market to products that actually were a dry powder, could sit on the shelf. You didn't have to worry about the whole shelf life or anything like that. So that was sort of the beginning of my own business. Uh, and then in 1989, listen, no herbal products company out there had mushrooms in their product line. So it was a real interesting time in terms of actually introducing medicinal mushrooms to the herbal products and supplement market. Absolutely. And you must be just having a heyday now that mushrooms are, you know, coming out full force. People are developing such an interest in mushrooms. There's so many products with mushrooms in them now. So it must be very exciting to be a part of this world and see how it's becoming, you know, pretty conventional to see mushrooms in a lot of supplements and medicinal products. Well, I know. And everybody's just saying, oh, gee, your business must be mushrooming. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I've never heard that before. So I want to take things back a little bit and chat about what mushrooms are. Because, you know, for a a lot of people, it just kind of seems like there are these strange things that grow in forests. But, you know, what is a mushroom and how might it be different from other vegetables? Well, first of all, mushrooms are part of the kingdom of fungi. And so think about it as we have plants in one kingdom, 
We have uh, animals in one kingdom. We're part of the animal kingdom. And then right in the center is the kingdom of fungi. So they're not plants. They're not animals. They have their own kingdom. It's interesting. And some people talked about the fact of how we share certain attributes with the fungi. One of those being that, for example, mushrooms do not produce starch like plants do. As humans, our storage carbohydrate is actually glycogen. Mushrooms, the carbohydrate in mushrooms is glycogen. Mushrooms also respire. They um, consume oxygen and give off carbon dioxide. So we share a lot of attributes with them. But here's what I like people to know about mushrooms is that, first of all, mushrooms don't have seeds. Well, okay, so if they don't have seeds, how do we actually grow mushrooms? We don't have any seeds. Well, mushrooms produce spores. So starting with the spore, spores are everywhere. The spores are out in the ground and they're in the air all the time. That spore, when it lands on something that allows it to germinate into a very fine filament, very fine filament, multiple spores when they germinate and we have multiple filaments, these filaments will start to come together, they'll fuse together and they'll form a network of filaments. And that network of filaments is what we call mycelium. And mycelium is the actual body or what we call the vegetative body of this particular organism. The mycelium, its function is actually to spread throughout its substrate. And that could be in the ground, in the soil, it could be in wood. Basically, the function of that mycelium to some degree is it breaks down organic matter ultimately into humus. So that mycelium is out there. It's growing. It's amassing its nutrients as it breaks down this organic matter. And then when conditions are right, and for us up here in the Northwest, that would be the fall because this mycelium actually likes warmer temperatures and that's when it really starts to grow. But then when fall comes, the mycelium is sort of like, oops, it, we can't go any further. It's getting a little bit too cold. Uh, so the temperature lowers. A lot of rain comes down. It gets moist. The humidity goes up and up pops a mushroom. And that mushroom is what we would call a fruiting body. So you have the vegetative body, which is mycelium, the fruiting body, which is mushroom. And as that mushroom grows up and matures, once it gets matured, most mushrooms will have gills underneath the cap. Uh, those gills will produce spores. And now we've completed the life cycle. So in terms of, for example, herbal medicine or supplement use, mushrooms or what we call a mushroom will have three plant parts. So this organism will have spores, mycelium, and mushroom. And each one of those is separate, has different characteristics. And for us who want to consume them, that makes a big difference. So those are the three plant parts that we deal with. So in terms of what is edible from the plant, I mean, I think most of us are familiar with the fruiting body and, you know, that would come with the spores. Is the mycelium actually edible? Well, yes, it is. But the fact is, is that we normally would not eat the mycelium simply because the mycelium is underground. It's fused with its substrate or it's in a piece of wood. So we never have the ability to actually harvest the mycelium when it is wild. That's just something that we can't do unless, I mean, there, there are certain forms of this organism that rather than this mycelium uh, producing a mushroom, it can also produce a um, what's called a sclerotia, which is a hardened mass of mycelia that rather than being diffuse and spreading out, it just comes together and forms sometimes a very big ball, just a pure mycelium. And if we found that, and an example of that would be a truffle. A mm. truffle would be something that is actually a sclerotia. And then they have other uh, certain mushrooms, like there's a mushroom, poria, and poria can be really a big mass of pure white mycelium. So in those cases, we can actually get it. In China, they actually produce 
mycelium by a process of fermentation where they grow it out in liquid and then uh, in very large tanks they grow out the mycelium in liquid they uh, remove the liquid at the end of the process which may be five or six days a very short process and they remove the liquid and then they have a mass of pure mycelium which then they can dry grind to a powder and have a pure mycelium product but generally speaking we don't have access to a pure mycelium product and so certainly as uh, consumers uh, certainly on the food level what we have is this mushroom which we're all very familiar with and we can go out we can wild craft it or we can go to the store and we can buy it or we can get supplements that have it so I've noticed that, you know, if I'm out on a hike or even if I'm just kind of walking down the street, sometimes I'll see a mushroom growing there. Sometimes I see them growing on trees. You know, it feels like mushrooms, when there's a will, there's a way, they'll find a place to grow. So I know you described some of the conditions, but why is it that mushrooms grow in certain places and then you might find them in a totally different location somewhere else? Well, you know, there are tens of thousands of different species of what we would call a mushroom. So each one of those may have a very different set of enzymes that can break down the uh, raw materials that are out there, all of these this different organic matter. So essentially, they have developed to where there are any number of different organic materials that they can uh, absorb and use as a food source. So that's really why we can see them in so many different places. I mean, just like some plants just seem to be able to grow everywhere. But mushrooms are even more uh, well-developed than that in the sense that not many plants can break down or grow on a piece of wood other than maybe just on the surface. But they've still got the roots in the soil. But mushrooms can actually, or these fungal organisms, can actually grow on wood some of them are uh, able to break down the heartwood, the lignin of wood, which very few other organisms can actually do. So they do have the ability. And here's what's interesting, too, is that, you know, what we're really talking about here is we're talking about a very separate area of this whole fungal kingdom. And this is what let's call it fleshy fungi, which means mushrooms. And those are what are called perfect fungi. But there are even more of what are called imperfect fungi, and imperfect fungi are what we all know as molds. So when you see like your bread, all of a sudden your bread, you've got like this uh, either green that's growing on it or sometimes black. Those are molds. And what's interesting is those molds will generally start off as a white mycelium. And then when they turn color, green or black, that is the spores so when you normally see a mold and it's all green or black it's like you're looking at something where it's a, a fungal mycelium that has produced spores and when people talk about um, oh they've got uh, issues with molds and they're sensitive to molds what they're talking about is they're talking about these mold spores that as that mold grows in their home or wherever it is, and then all of a sudden it starts to sporulate. The spores get in the air, they breathe them in, and that's what causes those allergic reactions. That's so interesting to me, and I'm going to kind of sidetrack here for a moment, but I am someone who has really terrible seasonal allergies, and since moving to California, it feels like it's year-round allergies. Oh. And I was looking at the allergy report the other day, and it said that mold spores were high, that there's a high mold count right now. Yep. And I totally noticed that my seasonal allergies have been worse, like in the last few weeks. I'm wondering, is that like prime time for mushroom growing? Well, you know, and, and yes, to the sense it is, because certainly what it takes for a mold to grow, generally speaking, because we've got a really broad variety of these different molds and fungi, but what it takes is it takes high humidity for the most part. So it really, like for us, it takes these rains, which and the temperature going down and raining, the relative humidity just goes right up. And that's when these things can really start to grow and sporulate. And so even in a home, you know, where homes have this mold problem is they maybe have a damp corner somewhere or there's some area in the home that is damp and let's say the walls sort of get damp the mold spores you know this is what's really interesting is that 
in the air that we breathe at any given time, it is loaded with microorganisms. It's loaded with spores, bacteria, yeasts, and we're breathing those in all the time. And that's fine. We, this is something that we have been able to cope with through our immune system since we're very young. But when you get a lot of these, if you're in a small room or a house or something where there's a concentration of these spores, well, that's when it becomes dangerous to us. And there's certain molds that we really have to be careful with. And that's when they can reach a point. And it's just like a pollen in the springtime from trees. You can sometimes see the pollen coming off of trees and it's just like colorful. And there's so much of this pollen. And that's why these certain periods when the air is all of a sudden full of it, it reaches a certain point where it can have a very powerful effect on a person. That's so interesting. And I've also noticed it's been warmer here. It's not typically very warm in San Francisco, but it's been warmer and I think humidity has been higher. So that is probably on some level contributing to it. Oh, absolutely. Because the warmth is something that will definitely stimulate them as well. So if it's warm and uh, high humidity, oh my, you can get molds growing really quickly. Whereas if you go into a place that's warm but dry, no, they're going to have a real problem um, because it's like if you put the uh, fungal mycelium out into a dry space, it just doesn't want to grow. It's just kind of like, sorry, I need moisture to be able to spread. So that's definitely something that is is weather dependent and humidity, especially humidity is super important. And that's something that I find really interesting about fungi and mushrooms is that, you know, baseline, like there is mold in the air and there are mushrooms that are great for you and they taste delicious. And yet there's also mushrooms that aren't good for you. There's also, you know, a certain amount of mold or types of mold that aren't good for you. So it is this spectrum. And I'm curious, like, let's talk a little bit more about medicinal mushrooms and how we've been able to identify these different types of mushrooms that not only taste great, but are actually really, really good for us. Well, you know, first of all, let me just say that all of our edible mushrooms, the choice edible mushrooms, and, you know, there are lots of edible mushrooms out there in terms of, yeah, you can eat them and you're not going to get sick or you're not going to get poisoned or anything like that. Lots of them. The problem is, is most of them don't taste very good. Mm. So we have, as a species, we have figured out that there are maybe two dozen, more or less, and there may be more, but two dozen that are really choice edible mushrooms. And so those are the ones that we focus on. And these are mushrooms. Now, for example, okay, we've got these edible mushrooms in Asia and in certain parts of Europe, they've been eating these mushrooms for thousands of years. But in Asia, they actually figured out that, okay, there's also certain mushrooms, some of which may not even be actual edibles. And that's what's kind of interesting, like, say, a reishi or a turkey tail or something like that. But they figured out that there's certain species that have really strong medicinal properties. And again, for me, every mushroom has, uh, for example, beta-glucans in its cell walls. That's just part of the mushroom, the fungal cell wall, and that's the important immunological characteristic of mushrooms. That's the compound in there that's, that's so important. But some mushrooms have those beta-glucans in a very specific architecture because not every beta-glucan within each mushroom is exactly the same. They kind of have different structures there, and it's that structure that will make the difference between this mushroom being just an edible with certain beneficial properties to something that's got very special medicinal properties like a lion's mane or like a reishi or a shiitake or maitake. So it's and here's how I look at it is, is, first of all, I'll look at traditional Chinese medicine and I'll say, okay, which mushrooms have you identified? And I've actually got a book from China that's got 270 different species that they list as being medicinal. Well, I mean, my God, how would I introduce 270 different medicinal mushrooms? How would I you know, tell a person to buy this one and not that one? But certain of them 
are definitely the ones I go, okay, here we've got the main ones that they've used in traditional Chinese medicine. Even though I've got this long list, here's the main ones. And then I go out and, and I look at the science because there's a lot of really good scientific research on mushrooms that has maybe for the last 50 years, scientists have been looking into the medicinal properties of mushrooms. So we've got a tremendous body of research. I match up the traditional Chinese medicine use with the research. And I say, okay, we've got both here. These are definitely highly medicinal. And these are the ones to focus on. And so for us, we've got eight to 12 actual mushrooms that we would sell and consider to be highly medicinal with the kind of properties that would provide a lot of benefits to people. So what are some of those benefits? Like, let's say someone wants to try medicinal mushrooms and incorporate them into their routine. What are some of the benefits that they might see? Well, you know what? I personally believe that the most important aspect of medicinal mushrooms is their ability to potentiate our immunity. And in that sense, what they're actually called is a biological response modifier. That means that they will activate immune cells, macrophages, T lymphocytes, NK cells, and actually enhance our cell-mediated immune response. And so that's the key that when I think about medicinal mushrooms as an overall category. That is the most important aspect of them, and that's due to the beta-glucans. So all of our major medicinal mushroom species have that ability to actually enhance our immunity. And for me, that means a couple of things, one of which is that we can look at mushrooms as medicine. So it's kind of like food is medicine. So, so I'll tell people, eat mushrooms, put them into your diet, because number one, you're going to still get the benefits, uh, those immunological benefits by eating mushrooms. Even before you start to supplement, eat mushrooms, and here are the ones you should be eating because they're the ones that we've shown uh, have this really strong immunological activity. So shiitake, maitake, reishi, oyster mushroom, turkey tail, these ones, you can actually get not so much turkey tail, but turkey tail or reishi, you can use those and use them as a tea. So in that sense, they're a food too. So those particular ones, those are food as medicine. And that's where uh, the whole concept too of the adaptogen comes in. And mushrooms, in a sense, are premier adaptogens. And adaptogens are something that promote harmony promote balance, uh, homeostasis. So that's in a sense, when we are out of balance, and it's like, God, I just seem to be getting a cold too often, or I just seem to be getting the flu too often, or what is it that, you know, keeps me from being healthy. And in a sense, that's where one of the primary things about medicinal mushrooms is that's what they're going to help you. They're going to help you to maintain a higher level, in, in my opinion, of immunological competence. So that is absolutely number one. And, and that's totally, for the most part, due to the fact of these beta-glucans that are in mushrooms. And those are really important compounds. And then sometimes you'll find mushrooms that have very specific effects on your body. I'm going to use a personal example. This is probably about two years ago. And I've you know, I had my skepticism around mushrooms and medicinal mushrooms, and I wasn't really sure that I was going to notice any kind of effect on my body. I started drinking a, you know, they were calling it mushroom coffee, but there wasn't any coffee in it. And it was cordyceps. And drinking that was like having four cups of coffee for me. That was <laughs> when I was absolutely convinced that mushrooms are incredibly powerful. You know, we can talk about cordyceps in particular, but yeah, yeah. I know that mushrooms, like, yes, they can, you know, help with your immunity. You know, certain ones are adaptogens, can bring you back to homeostasis, but some of them have very, very specific effects on the body. Yeah, well, let's talk about cordyceps for a second, because, you know, that's a really interesting fungus. And in China, it's called the caterpillar fungus or 
they also call it winter worm summer grass because cordyceps, the traditionally harvested cordyceps has been harvested up in uh, Tibet. And it's really interesting because this caterpillar, it gets infected and it goes and it will hibernate under the ground in pastures. And this is the ghost moth caterpillar. And then all through the winter, it's in there hibernating, waiting for spring and summer to come and where it'll emerge and become a moth. But instead, it's been infected by cordyceps. And instead, a little cordyceps mushroom comes out of it and it never wakes up. Now, cordyceps in that form, which let's just call it caterpillar fungus, has been used in traditional Chinese medicine for neurasthenia. And that's kind of interesting because neurasthenia is when you have a long illness and you get over your illness, but you still feel tired. You still really feel like, you know, you just can't get your energy back. That's when they give people cordyceps. And that's kind of been one of the primary uses of cordyceps. And so you look at that and you think, okay. And then what's happened is now because of that whole usage of cordyceps and the whole idea of energy and fatigue that's been kind of picked up by people in sports and they think okay you know i i work out a lot or or i'm very active and sometimes i feel overly tired or fatigued that's what they do is they'll use cordyceps and so maybe that was part of it for you but you know what i have to um, be clear about this because generally speaking my own experience and the way mushrooms uh, work in general is you're not necessarily going to feel something right away in most cases. And again, that just depends on the person because some people are more sensitive to others. And, and we've got all sorts of testimonials that come in on, on our products, for example. And some people are like, oh, they sort of feel the effects right away of the product, whatever it is. That's fine. But again, to me, generally speaking, it's not like, you know, I'm going to take an aspirin and my headache is going to be gone in an hour or anything like that. So the fact that you had uh, this experience is really interesting. I mean, it was probably only a couple of days of trying it and I was wired. I had never felt anything like this. I will say, like, if someone wants something to get them up in the morning and to go to a workout, or if you would just like want to go hard at a workout, I can totally see why athletes use this because it's like taking a pre-workout supplement that will carry you through the entire time. It was so stimulating for me. I'm also someone who's very sensitive to this kind of stuff. So I'm not at all surprised. And I found with other types of mushrooms, it's been a much more subtle effect and something that I have to be consistent with. And I might feel it in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Whereas with cordyceps in particular, I was extremely sensitive to them. And you said that was a cordyceps coffee? Yeah. And there wasn't any coffee in it. It was just cordyceps. <laughs> and they called it cordyceps coffee? Or are you just saying it was a cordyceps product that was kind of supposed to be used? It as was, coffee? yeah. It was supposed to be like a coffee supplement used in place of coffee to give kind of a similar effect without, you know, having to consume coffee. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'd love to talk to you later about the brand and all of that, because there's a lot of interesting stuff out there about supplements in general that we can go over. But that's, you know, a whole other conversation in some ways. But that's so interesting. I, I, I love to hear different stories about how people react to the different mushrooms, because, you know, for example, another mushroom that has got um, benefits beyond immunological is lion's mane. Lion's mane right now is what's called a nootropic, and that is anything that enhances our performance. Just like the cordyceps could be a nootropic, coffee is a nootropic. We take coffee in the morning, the caffeine stimulates us. So lion's mane is now used by a lot of people as a for cognition, for essentially memory for just making us a little bit sharper mentally. And it's interesting because a lot of the research out there has demonstrated that, in fact, it will stimulate what's called nerve growth factor. And nerve growth factor is something we produce that helps maintain our neurons and our nerve cells. Nerve growth factor is very important, and this will stimulate the production of nerve growth factor. And that's especially something that uh, happens as we get older. We end up producing less of this, and that's why 
older people, oh, you start to lose your memory a little bit. And then they, they've used uh, lion's mane in some tests for people with dementia. And, you know, there's actually some clinical trials out there with lion's mane, which normally getting clinical trials with any herbal product doesn't happen very often. And in this case with lion's mane, there was actually a clinical trial in Japan, which is really an interesting trial. They gave one group of 30 people, they were 70s or something like that. They gave them three grams, just three dried grams of lion's mane per day. They gave the other group nothing because it was a control group, another group of 30 people. They gave them a whole battery of tests. After 90 days, they tested them again. The group taking the lion's mane tested significantly better than the control group. And then the interesting part about it was that they then, uh, after 30 days, and then they stopped taking the lion's mane. After 30 days, they tested the two groups again, and they both tested just about the same. So the group that did better after stopping taking the lion's mane dropped back down to the control group area. So that was kind of really interesting to have a test like that. And they've also done some tests like that with people who are pre-dementia dementia, and showing benefits as well. So it's really interesting when, when we have those kinds of studies, because it's not often that we get true clinical studies with these herbal products and mushrooms. And it's just like trying to get studies done with cordyceps. And, and here's another interesting way that they will measure things like that. In this case, it's uh, how do you measure fatigue in an animal model if you want to do a study? Well, what they do is they have what's called the mouse swimming test. And so they have a pool. I'm not sure the exact size, but not a big pool, a small pool. And then they'll take a mouse and they will put it in the pool and they start swimming and they time it. And okay, after it can't swim any longer, they take it out and they note the time. And then another mouse that's been given cordyceps, let's say for a week, it goes in and swims and they do the same thing. They get the time. And in these tests, the mice swim significantly longer having taken the cordyceps. And so that's one of the ways that they measure fatigue in an animal test. So that's kind of interesting as well. Uh, Reishi was also something that showed very positive effects uh, fatigue-wise also. So I'm curious, and I feel like you're the best person to speak on this. Does it matter how you consume mushrooms? Because obviously there are some mushrooms that you know, you might just cook with, but something like reishi, which, you know, in my personal opinion, doesn't taste that great, but you might be able to enjoy in an extract or in a coffee of some sort, you know, mixed with other things. Does it make a difference how you consume mushrooms? Oh, what are you, you're, you're telling me you just don't like that bitter taste of reishi? <laughs> <laughs> Not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, and that's interesting because that's one of the ways that you really know whether you've got a good reishi product or not is if it's in fact bitter because the bitterness are the triterpenoids in reishi and that's something that sets reishi apart from all the others but you know in terms of taking these things first of all let me just say i really promote people eating mushrooms i think that putting mushrooms into the diet is really important i think they're what i call the missing link the missing food group They're sitting there right between uh, animal foods and plants. They're right in the middle there. I really think eating mushrooms is is very positive. One of the things about mushrooms is they're loaded with fiber. We don't digest mushrooms in our uh, stomach, and not a lot happens there, but it all gets digested down in the intestines, and the mushroom fiber actually is feeding the microbiome. So they're a really good food. But you know, with foods, you have to think of them in the sense of, okay, I have to macerate that when I'm chewing them, and then it has to go down and they have to be processed. And we never chew it down to a point where we're necessarily getting everything out of it. And when you've got a supplement, for example, where this mushroom has been ground to a very fine powder, and the case of some of the products that we manufacture, we will actually do a, a one-time water extraction on them. So what that does is that helps to break down the cell walls. And mushrooms, one of the reasons why they are high in fiber is they do have a compound in them called chitin. 
And chitin is really interesting. It's what makes up a crab shell. The difference being, of course, a crab or a crustacean of some type will use calcium carbonate that it will pull together with the chitin to form its shell. Mushrooms obviously don't have that hard structure like crab shell, but they do have this chitin in the cell walls, which gives them a little bit of structure to, you know, grow up and stand. But that chitin does mean that eating a mushroom will be a little less digestible and that has a lot of fiber. But we can break that chitin down through hot water extraction or by grinding this dried mushroom into a very fine powder. And what we do is we grind it to a powder and then we extract it. So we're actually pre-digesting that. And I think that's uh, really important when we're talking about a supplement. So really with the supplement, because remember, with a supplement, for one, if you're just taking a supplement and it's just nothing but the mushroom powder, well, you're not really getting very much because remember, mushrooms, a fresh mushroom is uh, 90% water. So if you're eating 10 grams of fresh mushrooms dried, that's only one gram. And just to give you an idea of what 10 grams of fresh mushrooms is, I weighed up a, a medium-sized button mushroom uh, not long ago. It weighed 40 grams. 40 grams. That is that one mushroom, 40 grams. That would mean just eating that one mushroom, that's the equivalent to getting four grams dried. Nobody's consuming four grams dried in a supplement. So, you know, eating mushrooms, you could eat quite a few mushrooms and get a lot of that mushroom fiber for sure. But when we concentrate it, for example, we'll sometimes have a four to one or an eight to one or a 10 to one different extract. And that's where we can concentrate down the benefits of that mushroom. We don't throw away anything. We don't try to build up one thing or the other. We really want our products anyway to have the natural profile of that mushroom. But when you concentrate it, you don't have to take as much when you've got a supplement. You can then maybe get one gram of this extract or 500 milligrams of this extract in just a, a couple of capsules and really get all the benefits of it. So I, I really think that's the way to do it. And, you know, traditionally, in traditional Chinese medicine, all of their formulas and everything, the way you take it is they just boil all these herbs up into a very, very powerful tea, and then they consume that tea. So these are just the ways of getting these and getting them in a way that you don't have to try and digest them to break them down to get out these actives. You're actually getting it out in tea, and it becomes much more effective. So does it matter how they're grown? Like it makes me think about, you know, seafood, for example, where, you know, wild caught salmon is shown to be A, more delicious, but also maintain more nutrients and better for the environment if you catch salmon in the wild versus like farm salmon, you know, and then you think of something like vegetables, which you might have an organic farm or a biodynamic farm. And there's so many benefits to that over a farm that's using conventional farming. So in terms of how mushrooms are grown, does it make a difference? Oh, I, I think so. I, I mean, uh, we've actually been certified organic with our mushrooms since 1997. My company actually has been certified since 1992. And the basic answer to your question is yes, it's very important how they're grown and what they're grown on because the other side of it is that what you grow it on will supply the precursors to that fungal organism to produce the compounds we're looking for when it produces that mushroom. So, for example, most medicinal mushrooms are grown on wood. Most of them in the wild, they grow on wood. Now, one of the problems with wild crafting is that whoever's harvesting is harvesting from all different locations on all different types of wood oftentimes. And sometimes the wild crafters are taking old material with new material. It's very uneven. And the other problem with wild crafting is that, unfortunately, wild crafting always ends up in tears because humans have this sort of ability to go in and harvest everything until it's all gone. So I'm not a big proponent of wild crafting at all. I, I think cultivation is really important. And the nice thing about mushroom cultivation is we can grow these mushrooms on the normal 
substrate that they grow on, which is important. And then we can grow a mushroom that is very consistent and will give us those medicinal compounds that we're looking for. So for us, and, and one of the things that I did is, and this is something that people need to know, is that mushroom growing is expensive. It is really expensive. And, and if you go to the store and you want to buy shiitake or maitake or something other than the button mushroom, you're going to pay a, a quite a significant price for that, maybe $10, $12, $15 a pound. It's not cheap. But think about this for a second. Okay, so if you're paying $10 a pound for your shiitake mushrooms, well, the fact is, is that supplements are dry powders. Mushrooms are 90% water. So if you're paying that much money, and this goes for uh, companies that want to produce supplements, for example, if they're paying $10 a pound for fresh, well, 90% water, you take the water away. Now you have to get $100 a pound for that same pound of mushrooms. So in the United States, no mushrooms are being grown for supplement use. None, literally none. All mushrooms grown in the United States are grown for the fresh market. That's where a mushroom grower can actually make a profit and bring you fresh mushrooms at a relatively reasonable price. As a mushroom grower, I understood that very early because that was my trade. I knew the economics of growing mushrooms. So in, in the 90s, I went to China and I visited farms and factories and research institutes and conferences and built up relationships over there. And in 1997, I took OCIA, the number one organic certifier in the United States with me to China. And we had the first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China, 1997. And the reason that I did that is because one, I totally believe in organics. I believe in chemical free foods. I support that movement totally. And I knew that if I was going to grow my mushrooms in China, have them processed over there into extracts, I would have to develop organic certification for mushrooms over there, which I did. And all of our mushrooms are grown organically and certified by high quality European certifiers. And we test everything. Because a lot of people are like, oh, geez, if it's grown in China. I don't want to touch it. Well, the fact of the matter is, if it's grown on the Gulf Coast of the United States, I don't want to touch it either because that's super polluted, right? I mean, it doesn't matter where you are. You can have pollution zones anywhere. The, the fact of the matter is, is you have to grow it in a place that's clean and far enough away from all of that pollution that you don't have to worry about it. And then in the case of the mushrooms that we grow is we test them for heavy metals, pesticides, microorganisms before they leave China. And then when they arrive over here, we test them again with the different labs over here. So they're tested twice. We can't sell them if they don't meet those standards. I totally believe in organic certification. And I think that is organic foods. I think it's very important. And, and think about it, Davida. All of the chemicals that we've been exposed to in our lifetimes, and we didn't ask for that, but all of those chemicals and nobody really knows what the ultimate effect will be on their or our health, whether early uh, deaths, you know, how many early deaths are attributed to that. It's really one of those sad, sad things that's happening out there. I couldn't agree more. And this is a conversation we've had a couple times here on the show. I'll direct the listeners over to an episode that we recorded with the founder of Stonyfield Organics. They make organic yogurt. And he's a, a big voice in the organics community where we talk about the importance of organic certification and why organic matters beyond just, you know, what people oftentimes assume is a buzzword. There's actually a difference between how something is grown organically versus how something is grown conventionally and why that's important. And I know that you and your company have your set of standards. In terms of consumers purchasing mushroom products, what are those standards that they should be looking for? Is organic the only thing that matters? 
You know, I think to the CBD world right now, having things be third party tested are so, so important. And it's really on the consumer to do that research. Is it similar with mushrooms where it's important to, you know, see that third party certification? Like, What is the standard for knowing you're getting high quality mushrooms? Well, you know, and this goes so far beyond those basic issues, because you know what, you can have products out there that are certified organic, they might be gluten free, they might be kosher, all of the rest and still be terrible products. <laughs> and I've got a perfect example for you here. And this is what's going on in the mushroom industry is we went through the different plant parts of the mushroom spore, mycelium, mushroom. And the fact is, is that, you know, I told you how expensive it is to produce mushrooms and the fact that in the United States you cannot produce mushrooms and sell those mushrooms as supplements economically it doesn't work so what companies have been doing is they will grow the mycelium in a laboratory on sterilized grain the mycelium will grow out on that grain uh, for maybe 30 days or so they will then harvest that myceliated grain, dry it, grind it to a powder, grain and all, and they will sell that as a mushroom. Now, are you familiar with a product called tempeh? No, I'm not. You've never heard of tempeh? No. My goodness. Wow. Okay. Well, this is something. Tempeh is a food that's manufactured in Indonesia. That's where they really make a lot of it. And what it is, is they cook soybeans and then they put a, a fungus on it. Oh, are you that, saying, sorry to interrupt you there. Are you saying tempeh? Tempeh, yeah. T-E-M-P-E-H. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yes. I thought you were saying tempeh. And oh, I was no. like, I've never heard of tempeh, but I definitely know tempeh. Okay. You know tempeh then, I right? do know so, tempeh, yeah. So did you know that it was actually a fungal mycelium that's used to grow on tempeh? I didn't know that. I did know that, I mean, sometimes you buy the product and you'll see kind of like what looks like black mold spores on it. And I know that it's still safe to consume, that it is, you know, a fermented product. Yes. But I is. had no idea. Well, it is fermented. And if you get it at a certain point, too, you look at it and the block is actually white. Mm -hmm. And you look at it and you see the soybeans in it and you see the white. The white is mycelium. Okay. That's what uh, companies in the United States will grow but they'll take that block of myceliated grains, and in this case, they may use rice or oats or other grains, and then they will dry it, grind it to a powder, and here's the thing, they will put it into the market and call it mushroom. Oh, wow. And it's not a mushroom. It is simply myceliated grain. It is tempeh. And look, one of the things that we do and what I really love is I love analysis. We analyze like no other company analyzes their products the way we do, besides just the general qualities uh, that everybody has to do, like heavy metals and pesticides and microorganisms. We, we will measure beta-glucans. We will measure what's called alpha-glucans, which are the starches, and we'll measure ergosterol, ergothionine, other compounds that are commonly found in mushrooms. And here's what we found when we tested all those products, I mean, first of all, I know what those products are in terms of it's not a mushroom. It's, it's got mostly grain. It turns out that according to our tests and, and any test that you want to do, send it off to a lab. It's mostly starch from all the grain, very low in beta-glucan. Uh, mushroom has beta-glucan, 25 to 50% beta-glucan. These products were around 5%. Mushrooms do not contain starch. We talked about that earlier. They have very small amounts of glycogen, maybe 2% or so, these products are up to 60% starch. So you're really getting, you know, and sometimes I say, oh, well, you know, mycelium, there's a tremendous amount of research on the medicinal benefits of mycelium. And I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. The problem is, is you're not selling mycelium, you're selling myceliated grain, or what we know as tempeh, and you're calling it mushroom, so it's being mislabeled as well. So this is the something that you really have to watch out for when you're buying a mushroom supplement in the United States, because the majority of them, and I'm serious here, the majority of mushroom supplements out there are not mushrooms. They are myceliated grain. And one of the ways that you can tell right away, if it says made in the USA, it's definitely not going to be a mushroom. And B, turn it over. And if you're lucky, 
maybe in the supplements facts panel it will say mycelium and maybe in the fine print where it says other it might say myceliated grain of some sort those are the things that you can look for to be you know okay is this actually mushroom or is it this myceliated grain the other thing you can do which i love is called the iodine starch test where if you've got one of those products right now and you're going gee did i get one of those products you pour two to four capsules out in a quarter cup of water stir it up really good put 10 drops of iodine in there there's a reaction that with iodine and starch if you've got starch in there meaning you've got one of these grainy products it will turn that liquid black, totally black. Uh, if you have a real mushroom product, it will just, you'll see the color of the iodine and that'll be basically it. It will not react and cause that super black reaction. So that's one method that you can use that's fairly certain. But the other is just look at the supplements facts panel. But let me tell you, a lot of companies will put those products out and they bought it from the people producing them, and the companies who bought them and bottle them and all that, they don't know what they've got because it's been sold to them as mushroom, so they label it as mushroom, and it's not. So it says this product was manufactured in the U.S. Most likely, it's just myceviated grain or tempeh. Wow, that's fascinating. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, to me, it's just like, you know, this is unethical. You're putting out this product, you're calling it mushroom. You, you look at the front panel and the panel says reishi mushroom. It's got a beautiful reishi mushroom image on it. And you think, oh yeah, reishi mushroom product. And then the person in the Whole Foods or health food store, whatever it is, they'll say, oh yeah, that's a really good brand. And they don't even know about it because I've talked to so many of those people in the natural food stores and they don't have a clue because some of the, in fact, the number one selling brand in the United States is that kind of product and people don't know it. I feel like I know what the brand is. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you do. I have a good feeling and I have a very good feeling that a lot of people listening who have heard of medicinal mushrooms probably know that product too. But I'm not going to say the name because no, we don't no, need to throw no. anybody under the bus. I, you know what? I don't name names or do anything like that because to me, it's not just one company. There's multiple companies that are doing it. And I'm just trying to educate people to the fact that they have to be very careful because so many of those so-called mushroom products are actually nothing more than tempeh. And there's not a mushroom in there despite what they say. Wow. So I did want to touch on one last point. And this comes up because I was recently at a farmer's market where I was chatting with someone who was selling a bunch of different types of mushroom products. And I noticed that all of the mushroom products used maitake. And I was asking her why. And she said that there's a lot of mushrooms out there that are being overly harvested and that certain types of mushrooms are actually becoming extinct or harder to come by. I'm curious if there's truth to that and if that's something that we should be aware of. You know what? I don't think there's too much truth to that. I mean, I've heard people talk about chaga and, oh, chaga is going to be, you know, it's on the list of threatened species yeah, and things that like that. Yeah, you know what? I've looked into that in a very deep way. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, if you are uh, somebody in an area where there's a lot of people that are interested in wildcrafting mushrooms and you have some small forests nearby and you might go, geez, out in my, my favorite forest, the chaga's all gone. And, you know, that happens. Even where I'm living, sometimes, you know, I'm going, oh, there's too many people out here that are going after the chanterelles or the pine mushrooms. And it's like, why are so many people interested in mushrooms now? And you think, but, you know, in small pockets like that, it may be happening. But the fact of the matter is, especially with chaga, my God, the birch forests in the world are vast. And what happens to all these people harvesting? I mean, think about it for a second. Chaga, uh, a lot of it is growing way up the tree. And most of the chaga that gets harvested out there is close to the road because people don't want to walk too far to get it, especially if they're a commercial harvester. And then what are you going to do? Take a ladder with you to climb up there to get these things? And then, you know get it off this birch tree, and then the birch tree, which is not very strong, falls. I mean, it's like, no, there is absolutely no truth to the fact that chaga is in any way threatened. That, you know, more than any other mushroom, I'd say absolutely not threatened. And besides, you know, chaga right now is kind of a fad. Of all the mushrooms, it's really a fad kind of mushrooms, and there's so much. It's the other thing 
the Vita that I really don't like. It's out there. Chaga is now the king of mushrooms. Chaga, there's nothing Chaga doesn't do. It will help you in every single way that you can possibly imagine. And I'm like, you know, it's a panacea. No, it's not a panacea. No, it doesn't do all those things that they tell you it does. It has a couple of really good benefits, one of which is that your stomach. I, I For people that have um, Crohn's disease or IBD or something like that, try chaga. I think chaga may be something that would be really helpful for that. It also has triterpenes in it, which are really good antiviral and antibacterial. Try chaga. It, it's a great mushroom, but it doesn't do all of that. And chaga actually is not even a mushroom. That's what's interesting about it. chaga is a canker. It is a manifestation of a diseased tree. Chaga is something that you can take it off. It doesn't damage the tree at all. You're just taking off and removing the manifestation of a disease. That tree is dying. It's a dead tree standing. So really, the whole idea that chaga could possibly be threatened is is really uh, not credible in any way. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. I'm so glad that you were able to clear that up for me, especially when I hear about like mushroom farming is actually, you know, a great way to get quality mushrooms, then it kind of removes the idea that mushrooms are going extinct. Oh, yeah. Well, well, you know what the thing about it is, too, is mushroom growing, it's one of the most wonderful industries out there because actually what you're doing is mushrooms traditionally are grown on all of those agricultural waste materials, many of which get just thrown away or put out on the fields or something. It's like, no, they recycle all of that into high quality food products. So really, uh, in terms of their role and in terms of growing them, they're not sucking all the nutrients out of the soil. They're not taking tremendous amounts of water. No, mushrooms are actually a fabulous crop in terms of something that can actually be cultivated. I mean, that is just the way to go in terms of mushrooms in general and not, definitely not wild crafting. And I, I feel so bad about people that have been wild mushroom harvesting for a long time and now to see armies of commercial pickers coming into your area during the season and just combing it for these mushrooms that have been commodified and are now a, an item where people go out and they can make money by harvesting it. I really don't like that. Well, this has been so, so helpful for me. I feel like I've learned so much and I'm so grateful that you came on the show and shared all of your information. If people want to learn more about you and your company, find the products, where can they find all that info? Well, come to our website at namex.com. That's N-A-M-M-E-X.com. We have a lot of information, very deep in information there. I've got some slideshows there that show how our mushrooms are grown. I've got a slideshow that shows how these myceliated grain products are grown. So we've just got a ton of information, some great pictures too. Um, we're a business to business company. We sell raw materials to other companies that put out our raw materials under their labels. But we also have a, a retail brand called Real Mushrooms and that's realmushrooms.com. You can go there if you, if you'd like to try the products. And, you know, my thing really, Davida, is to educate people about mushrooms. That's so so important because I want people to get the benefits of them. I really believe in mushrooms as a great food and a, and a good supplement. And I want to educate people to why. Awesome. Well, thank you again so, so much. I am just, I feel very grateful to have had your time and to ask all of my questions. And I can't wait to go out and eat some mushrooms. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I had a really great time. Huge thanks to Jeff for coming on the show today and for sharing all of his wisdom when it comes to mushrooms. I know I learned a ton. I hope this has been helpful for you and can help you be an empowered customer when shopping for mushroom products for your body. There's obviously so many benefits to it, and I definitely want to be encouraging of everyone to try them out 
and decide if it works for you. It's not gonna work for everybody. You might be extra sensitive to them like I am, but also I found a lot of benefits from adding reishi and I especially love reishi at night for helping me sleep. There's actually reishi in the prismatic plants CBD oil, which I take every single night to help me sleep. And if you want more info on that episode, I chatted with the founder of Prismatic Plants, Sarah Polanski, in episode 119. So definitely check that out if you're interested in learning more about CBD. As I mentioned last week on the show, things are kind of same old here. I'm sitting tight for a little bit before Thanksgiving when we are going to be traveling. So I'll share more about that as we get closer to it, as well as planning a big trip in 2020. I don't know why I chat about travel every single week here. We don't travel that much, but I do think it's interesting to hear where people are in the world. And where I am is here in San Francisco, kind of doing my thing, teaching yoga, working on the Healthy Maven, and just creating sustainable habits and finding that life is good. And I'm really happy to be in a season in my life where things are relatively calm and just making changes so that I can optimize my mental health and really feel as present and moving through life with more mindfulness and intention. And I found that to definitely be the case. I am working on a post right now all about the changes that I've made for my mental health this year. And as I look back on this year, it's pretty astounding to me how much things have changed. And it changed because I made the changes. And it's been a really huge learning lesson for me about having to be your own advocate and having to have confidence in yourself to make those changes and to know that it will all work out for the best. And also that if things don't work, that's okay. You can then go in a different direction. So it's something that I've been working a lot on. In terms of the Healthy Maven, lots of great stuff coming up. If you tuned in last week, you saw that it was the Credo Beauty Sale. So it was something that I was talking a lot about. I'm sorry to say it ended. So it started right after the show aired last Wednesday and ended on Sunday. So unfortunately, didn't have an opportunity to share here on the show because I was under embargo to not talk about it before it went live. So that's something that I wish I could have shared with you guys here. But if you tune into the Healthy Maven, you get all of that info right to your inbox. So I will include a link to the Healthy Maven's email list and to the beauty list so you can get up-to-date information in terms of the beauty products that I'm using and any kind of content we're publishing around that. And this week, I actually wrote a whole post all about sugaring, which is the hair removal product that I use when it comes to body hair removal, which of course everybody is entitled to have as much hair or as little hair as possible. But when it comes to making a sustainable choice for the environment and also for my body, sugaring is a much healthier option. And so I talked all about sugaring on the blog. So make sure you check that out as well as some other good stuff, especially some really good Thanksgiving recipes coming up. I've been in full-blown Thanksgiving mode around here and it's kind of awesome. It's really fun to be able to eat stuffing when it isn't Thanksgiving. So things have been good and I'm happy to say I'm in a very happy season of my life and feeling good about that. But I'm going to keep you posted on some changes that I've made as well as some upcoming things in a couple of weeks when I share my final solo episode of the year. So stay tuned for that. And coming up next week on the show, I am chatting with Amy Ann Cadwell from The Good Trade. If you're not familiar with The Good Trade, you have to check them out. They're an incredible resource for all things sustainability. So we're chatting about everyday sustainability as well as fast fashion and all sorts of other really important topics. So that is coming up next week on the show. As always, please leave a review on iTunes if you want to support the show. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you are informed when there's a new episode every single week. Otherwise, I hope you have a wonderful week and I will chat with you again soon. Have a good one. Bye, guys.